I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You got to get this information cascaded down through the entire organization. It's got to be available to everybody. Well, technology kind of allows for that, and it builds this bridge between international mobility and and global skills development. But we never really saw a program out there that offered that um, and took advantage of technology. How you day? How you day? That was the voice of Dean Foster. And we are discussing how to understand cross-cultural interactions. This, as you know, is what I've dedicated my entire career and life to because I do think it's arguably the most important skill that every person needs to understand. The ability to understand what it's like to communicate effectively across cultures, to deal with the nuances that come with that is so key when it comes to business, when it comes to personal relationships, when it comes to building institutions. This was recorded once the pandemic started, so this is very, very dated, but I've been going through you know, a few episodes, and this one felt appropriate right now, and if the timing seems off to you, it is because, once again, <laughs> it was recorded a while ago, and I'm getting through some old episodes, but nevertheless, the concepts remain true to this day as it ever was. All right, check out the episode. Please take notes. Please reach out to Dean if you uh, resonate with his facts and check out the links, you know, check out the show notes rather for the links that we mentioned in the podcast. Also, please show some love, leave reviews, leave your five-star reviews on Amazon, on iTunes, on Spotify, wherever you listen to. But a lot of times I know that Apple Podcasts is where you can leave the reviews. So please leave them and for now all i want you to do is enjoy the episode welcome everybody to another episode of as told by nomads and today's guest is dean foster dean is the founder of dfa intercultural global solutions i'm gonna let this area go (laughs) yeah right (laughs) golly oh goodness are are you editing can you you have editing ability afterwards or oh yeah yeah, absolutely okay yeah i i I edit all the time yeah so all right Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Dean Foster. Dean is the founder of DFA Intercultural Global Solutions and a former worldwide director of the Burleys Cross-Cultural and currently executive strategic consultant of DwellWorks Intercultural. Very, very involved in cross-cultural communications as well as intercultural work. It's based in New York City, which is where I am, and he's played a central role in the development of the field of cross-cultural training and consulting. He's worked with most major Fortune 500 companies, national governments, and NGOs, including the United Nations, LVMH, DreamWorks, Heineken, among others, and as a guest lecturer and faculty for premier educational institutions, including Harvard Business School, Columbia University School, and New York University, as well as Darden. His work has taken him to more than 100 countries. He's the host on CNN of the National Doing Business In series and a frequent guest commentator on culture, global work, and social issues for CNN, CNBC, the BBC, and other radio stations. As you can tell, very, 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 very well versed in this. Welcome to the show. I'm excited to have you on here to talk about multiple things. Well, it's great to be here with you. Thanks so much. Pleasure is mine. And it's, I, I like bringing you know, people like yourself because you know, I, I, I'm obviously involved in cross-cultural consulting and the work, but I love hearing the different perspectives because 
one of the things that happens with with the work that you do is that you get to expose yourself to different ideas and how different people take in your concepts. So I'm excited to dive into that. But before I get, I even, I get ahead of myself and get uh, <laughs> nerdy on those aspects. I wonder if you could tell us about your background and how you got to where you are today. Well, uh, you know, I grew up in New York City, um, probably one of the most multicultural places in the world, right? And, uh, and my career has gone back about 30 years now. So, you know, when we first started doing this, nobody was, was doing any kind of work around. Well, very few people were doing um, business applications for cross-cultural work. Uh, there was a lot of research, but that was academic. Um, but no one was really doing any kind of information about culture so that people could work more effectively when they when they communicate with colleagues in other countries, uh, when they live abroad, when they work abroad. That was kind of all brand new. And growing up in New York City, which is so multicultural, I was influenced by by all the different cultures that um, literally I lived among. And um, I got a degree in anthropology and sociology, and I was looking for some way to apply all of this great cross-cultural information mm. when a, you know, a colleague and I decided, look, uh, businesses are now going global. We need to find a way to get this information to them. And so we started a small consulting company at the time, which was uh, Cross-Cultural Consulting Associates. And we started um, offering cultural information for businesses working in other countries. And of course, the reaction was, huh, why do we need this? Um, we know how to do business. And we would always say, yeah, but it's business is going to be done differently in different countries. And it took a while to educate people to the idea. But um, once they began to, I think once U.S. Americans particularly began to have a lot of international experiences and realized that culture was on the plate and that it was something they had to manage, um, then they came back to us and said, help us out because we're experiencing things that may be cultural and we don't know how to handle it. And that's how we actually got our start, um, providing cultural information through training programs for businesses working in other countries. So these were management training programs um, focused and centered on culture. Um, then the relocation and mobility industry developed. And here, you know, we had um, individuals in major organizations responsible for moving families from one place to another. And these international assignees and families needed cultural information in order to survive. They needed to know how to live their daily life in a, in a city and a, a, a country maybe very, very far and very different from what they were familiar with. So we started tailoring programs for international assignees and families. And um, that enabled us to reach a, a very large audience in international relocations and mobility. And ever since, our work has been pretty much in those two areas, you know, providing cultural information, training and skills for people who are working in other countries and working with people in other countries. Those, I would refer to the, that kind of work as global teams and global team building. And then also for families who are relocating. And uh, our work is, uh, well, we've been doing it now for about 30 years. So uh, we, I'd like to think that um, we come with some expertise and some useful information. I would and, say. We've, and, we've, and we've seen so many changes in the industry, you know, over the over those thirty years. So that's that's another interesting piece of it. No, let's talk about those changes, right? I, I come at it, you know, from a millennial's perspective, a millennial's point of view. I, I'm thirty. I'm in the field, but I grew up, you know, on the other side of the world. I grew up in Nigeria, then five countries, four continents, and right. By the time I was 18. So I, I remember when I was first starting, it was interesting. It's actually one of the reasons I started the podcast. I used to get a lot of resistance from people, <laughs> even in the field, because they to them, they said I was um, too young and there's no there's no way I could add any value to the, to the field. And so I was like, All right, fine, I'll just I'll just come up with my with my uh, perspective and the way that I've received it and, you know, work with people. From that angle, and even you know, even when I was writing the book, I, I one of the questions I got asked was, "How is your book different from others?" And I, I just said, "Well, I'm uh, black, Nigerian, and I'm a millennial, thirty, and most of the books are written by people that don't look and sound like me." And then that was the yeah. end of that. That was the end of that conversation. So yeah. I say all this to say, you said it's gone through a lot of changes. I'm curious to hear what changes have happened 
in the field and in terms of the reception to the work that you do with your company right now. Right. That's really interesting. But, you know, I really, I really feel like I have to comment on the reaction that you just shared that you, you that you would get from people, because I can understand why people would say that, you know, um, would question what you have to, what's your perspective? What do you have to bring to this? You're too young. You don't know. I can see why people might say that, but it's a kind of ignorant perspective and it's certainly the wrong perspective. I wouldn't expect, that from people who are in this field, you know, because the whole nature of this field is about staying open to new perspectives. Right. That's what, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> so for, for somebody who's maybe, you know, build, trying to build a, a career based on that message to say to someone who comes with a new perspective that, well, you don't have anything to share. It's like, wow. <laughs> that's that's really hard for me to hear to hear <laughs> i mean it it, it 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 was no i mean yeah it, unfortunately it did but but it, it was it that's one of the reasons i love talking to people like you though because you're, you're one of the pioneers essentially in the field right because if you've been doing this for 30 years it, it's been going on for, i want to say roughly along that but yeah, even maybe yeah. Long, yeah, or you know nobody was doing it when we to, when we started it really no one was doing it yeah. So that, that that's that's the nerd in me there. I'm so curious about that. So what what exactly has gone on? And then we'll, we'll dive into cultural concierge, which is something I'm really fascinated about as well. Yeah. Well, you know, there's been several different changes that we've seen. First of all, you and I are talking right now. I, I guess we're going to time date this by saying this. But, you know, we're in the middle of this um, worldwide pandemic, this crisis yes. that's going on. So. You know, when you're in the middle of something that's um, so um, so important and and so historic, you tend to see it as like the the all-consuming moment that it feels like it is, and it's hard to imagine that it will pass, and that there will be some return to normalcy. Although normalcy that will be different because when these things happen, nothing is really ever the same. But there w there will be a return, and it will be over and things will then move on. Um, and it's hard to feel that way when you're in the moment. But I can tell you that when we first started 30 years ago, you know, we went through 9-11. We went through um, the Great Recession. And, you know, this is like number three. Um, and then lots of mini blips along the way. And in each of those major events, it seemed like the world had stopped. And in fact, it did. International work stopped. International relocation stopped. People weren't traveling. People weren't relocating. And I remember times I was kind of scratching my head through it saying, why am I doing this? This is never going to happen. There's, there is no international relocations. Um, but the truth is there will be relo international relocations. The people will start to move again. And um, even after this, um, there will probably be more in more global work and more need for global cooperation and understanding and the skills that are required with that than ever before. Because one of the reasons we're in this situation with the pandemic is because technology allows for the interconnectedness to such a degree that we can get on and off of planes and, and, and we can transmit these kinds of viruses far more easily. At, at the same time, technology gives us the tools to manage this stuff. And, and, and the global toothpaste is out of a tube. You know, it's not going back in. So this isn't the end of globalization and this isn't the end of global work. This is just a moment of transition to, I think, greater global work and greater global communications. So I'm kind of optimistic um, because I have the perspective to look back and see two other times that were in some ways very similar to this one. And we got through it and we'll get through this one. And by the way, each time we got through it, we didn't retreat. We didn't leave the global stage. We just kept going. And it'll be the same thing again, I think. It is interesting that you say that. I remember for me, the, the two biggest ones have been uh, definitely 9-11 and, and this. And this for me even feels uh, bigger, in, and not in the sense of minimizing what happened with 9-11, but it's, I was, I think I was, um, yeah, it was about 10 or 11 when it happened. And I was, on, I was in America International School, and I remember us 
they canceled they canceled school because it's an American international school. And I remember just trying to process what was happening. But I, I then remember the the ability for the world to rally and come back to, and come back together and really, you know, fight what we define as terrorism there. But what is happening with this particular situation is so eerie in the sense that this is happening everywhere. It's not like it happened in another country and it's <laughs> and, right. and that, you know, it's this is actually happening everywhere and it's spreading. It's the first time I've ever seen something like this. This is really straight out of a movie where everyone <laughs> is experiencing this or is about to experience it in some shape or form. I've <laughs> never, never never seen this without war or any of this i've just never seen the world arrested in such a way and and it's like uh it's not like you can be if you know the people that are choosing to be rebels if they continue to do that obviously it's just going to continue to to spike the the threat but i do believe like you that it's going to force us to look at ourselves and how we contribute to the world that we've created right and, that, and, and absolutely I, yeah i believe yeah. i believe in positive with that and i think it's a mirror in many sense right you can see the best of us and the worst of us, but I, I, like you, believe that we'll be better. Yeah, I think it's an inflection moment. You know, it's sort of like what happened back in when was it '69 when, um, when you know when we landed on the moon, like for one brief moment. Now that was a that was a wondrous thing. That wasn't a horrible thing, right? But but for one brief moment, like we all just kind of were in it together, and we saw the Earth in a very different way, and that's changed it inflected everything since and and i think this is going to have that kind of repercussion too um it's just not not a wondrous event it's a terrible event but nevertheless i think it's it's a way of bringing us together in terms of uh, our global thinking once more it reinforces the absolute need for global cooperation in order to solve our problems there's no way no way nation states or any kind of independent actor can do anything to uh, toward the solutions that we're now facing in the 21st century. So the pandemics, climate change, um, wh whatever the issue is, it requires a global perspective. So we're, sure. not go we're not going back. We're, we're not only going to go forward. Yeah, we go we're Absolutely. only going to go forward. Well, speaking of going forward, culture concierge, right? <laughs> Talk to us about that. <laughs> so, well, you know, to your point, you said, it, what are the changes in the industry? Well, some of the changes in the industry that we've seen, of course, is the is the revolution in technology. So when we started, we were literally doing paper and pencil training, you know, standing in front of people in a classroom, like, you know, when you went to school. And, um, and that's fine. That has a place, but it also has its limits. And technology really allows us to transmit a lot of skills and information and content in, in a very different way. Right. So we've seen the technology tsunami roll over um, basically the training industry and the relocation and mobility industry. And I was thinking, I guess a lot of things came together, the confluence of, of, of many different events. For a while, I've been thinking there's always been the separation between people who need this information because they're they're working globally, but they're not relocating. So they don't need the kind of relocation support that you would give to a family and an international assignee. But, but they do definitely need cultural information. And the whole organization needs cultural information. Um, so I've kind of scratched my head over the fact that many of the companies that we do family orientation work with and for don't have any kind of cultural information for their company. They have it for the assignees but they, they still don't have any kind of way of, of getting global information out there to, to everybody who works in the organization. And, and you can't work globally today without understanding culture. There's just no wiggle room for that kind of ignorance, right? So, so you got to get this information cascaded down through the entire organization. It's got to be available to everybody. Well, technology kind of allows for that. And it builds this bridge between international mobility and and global skills development. But we never really saw a program out there that offered that um, and took advantage of technology like that. And, and the whole business model for offering cultural information and cultural training has kind of been old school and hasn't really changed. Um, it still will come in and do a program for you and the program will cost X, Y, Z. And that's it. And then you say, thank you for all 
coming to the program and goodbye. And there's no follow-up, there's no ongoing support or very, very little. And I was thinking, you know what, we got to bring all this together and, and we got to just have a completely different way of looking at the presentation of cultural skills and information in the entire organization. So what we've come up with is this idea called cultural concierge. And what cultural concierge is, is a subscription service. It is not a per program service. So as a client, you don't pay for um, one-time training for Mr. and Mrs. Smith and the family who are being relocated to another country and then leave them alone and never hear from them again. No, everybody in the entire organization all the international assignees, everybody who works in the organization who is touched by global work and who needs cultural information is, a, is now entitled to access to this information virtually through a one-time subscription, a one-time annual subscription. That's it. And, yeah. and then what that gives people is ongoing support when they need it, where they need it for the full length of the subscription. So it's an annual subscription. So for one whole year, everybody in the organization, international assignees, families, in, in admin people, global managers, global teams, everybody, all the way up to the CEO, has access to their own cultural concierge whenever they need any kind of information and support around cultural issues. And, and it provides this ongoing it's an easy business model for everybody. It comes in much cheaper than a regular training program. And it bridges between international mobility and also global work. So we're really excited about this. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it sounds amazing. And especially now that the world is coming to terms with working virtually. I'm very curious as to how this fits into that because there are many things I can think about, right? So I can think about how do you then run meetings on this? Uh, where do you decide to sit at the table? Should you use a conference room? How do you facilitate misunderstandings when you're not physically there? How do you, you know, manage language differences? I have obviously a lot of questions, but I know you're going to answer them. I'm curious as to how your platform and your subscription right. service facilitates well, all that. All of those questions are the fundamental issues that everybody who's working globally needs to get answers to. Yes. Um, so, and, and sometimes our biggest task is just making people realize, helping them to realize that these issues are real and that they're on the table because so many times culture is the last thing that people think about because they're, you know, they're very busy. Everybody's very busy and we're all putting out forest fires every day. And, you know, basically we're kind of like a bad news agent, right? We come in and say, oh, and by the way, you might not have been thinking about this, but I think you've got a cultural issue that you need to deal with too. And it's often like the last thing anybody wants to hear because because <laughs> because oh no now you're bringing me something else i have to digest right but it's true and you know so we got we want to open people's eyes to the fact that they do need to understand how negotiation styles differ how communication styles differ how everything from protocol and etiquette can be different and how how men and women relate with each other how generations relate with each other and the expectations around the role of a boss and a team and and, you know, the list goes on and on. And this is the content of cultural knowledge and cultural understanding. And so we want to present this information. There's so much of it, right? We want to present it in a curated kind of way where people access the information, just the information that they need. So if I don't need information about how to negotiate, but I am a project manager and I do need information about um, how my team expects me to behave as the manager of the project, that's a different set of information. And we want to be able to be there just when you need that. Um, mm -hmm. So if you're getting off, if a business, if a frequent business traveler is getting off a plane and, and suddenly they find themselves invited to a, a, a business dinner in Almaty, Kazakhstan, and haven't a clue about what to do and what to expect and, and what kind of food they're going to get and should they bring a gift and should women in my team be invited to join me at the dinner, you know, the list goes on and on. We can be there. There's a cultural concierge who's going to help them through all that and coach them through it and give them that kind of information. So the platform is virtual and it's basically done through a website. And um, 
you get a code, the client gets a code, and that code is distributed to um, everyone in the organization who's signing up for the service. And they have access to this kind of expertise whenever they need it. Just wanted to stop by here before we get back to the episode. I wanted to let you all know that I do have a collective for people who are interested in developing their cultural competency skills, becoming more anti-racist. And it's a resource of things that you can do with your family, with your school, with yourself to work through your individual journey to become a better culturally competent leader. It's called UID Collective, and the link is in the show notes, but it's a mix of courses, it's a mix of resources, things you can download, and all you need to do is sign up as a member. It's a monthly membership. I'd love for you to check it out, use it with your friends, use it with your family, use it with yourself, okay? The link is in the show notes. It's called UID Collective, and it's for those of you that want to improve your cultural competency skills. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Back to the episode. Yeah, it's uh, well, it, very much of the times in terms of the services that we have today with uh, the gig economy. And, you know, everyone is the, the Ubers, the Lyft, the, the Airbnb. So you're on brand with, with uh, digitizing this. And I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the users listen, a lot of the listeners rather listen to this will, will find a lot of value in that. And you know, go ahead, yeah, go go ahead. Ahead. yeah, you know, I was going to say, you know, I learned a lot from you guys, um, from the millennials, because I'd like to think that unlike the person who gave you a hard time about your, your ideas, <laughs> that I would have been, wait a minute, tell me what you're seeing, because I want to know what, you know, how the world looks through your eyes, because first of all, you're my customer. So, you know, I, I, it's my responsibility to know that. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things we realize is that the, the use of technology is ubiquitous and it's, it's expected and anybody can go on to Google and get any kind of information. So, you know, I can type in, um, how do I negotiate with Malaysians? I have a meeting next week and you'll get, you know, you'll get information in the back of a taxi that you read on your way to the, to the meeting. But, but how do you apply that? How do you, how do you take that information? And when you have a problem, make it work for you. You know, this is the, the, the ongoing support. And I, I guess I would say it's coaching aspect, although I would use the term of guidance as opposed to coaching, that's critical that you, that you can't get by just accessing, you, you know, information from Google. So that's great that you can access that information, but how do you apply it? And, oh my goodness, I need, I need to know this tonight at 10 o'clock and I got to make some decisions. It's that kind of um, support where you can talk to a real live person, an expert who can answer all your questions and then give you uh, the kind of guidance that makes it all come alive and, and that that Google can't do. So I, I, I'm like I'm thinking, you know, we're, we're providing we're putting the best of both worlds together in, into one. Yeah, no, I will definitely make sure we put that in the show notes because I do think this is something that's needed and it's the way of the future. So I'm glad that you're at the forefront of this. Can we can we get into some best practices? I know you you have a lot of experience. I mean, even with your with your breadth of experience, there's a lot that you could talk about with remote work. And I wonder if you could 
add a cross-cultural spin to that. So what would be some best practices while having meetings now if we're trying to really foster relationships while being mindful of cultural differences? How, how would you suggest managing those types of meetings? Yeah, there, there's lots of different aspects to it. I mean, I just wrote an article, actually, and it's um, up, you, you can access it through my website. Um, it, it's called Your Meeting May Be Virtual, But the Cultural Differences Are Real. And right. it's all and it's all about how do I manage those cultural differences that are still there in whether your meetings virtual or, or face-to-face real world. And um, I think the most, one of the most important things that you have to keep in mind is that the cultural differences are going to be there. And if you were never thinking about them before, actually running a virtual meeting accents them and highlights them and makes them even that much more real. So, you know, if you're dealing with people who, come from cultures where it's very important to have a hierarchical structure to the meeting, uh, where they expect that only certain people can say certain things and talk about certain things and other people don't have authority and some people do have authority and authority around different aspects. You know, a lot of cultures are very hierarchical and those kinds of expectations are part of how they see the world. Well, you've got to consider that this perspective is going to give them a different set of expectations about what to do at the meeting. And they may feel very uncomfortable about it. Um, A lot of cultures, you know, classically differ in their communication styles. So you have cultures that evade and um, try to mask over saying negatives or unpleasant things, maybe would um, retreat into silence rather than tell you that they think you're wrong. There's a whole set of, of behaviors that go along with this kind of way of communicating. And then there are other cultures that come right out and say everything as explicitly as they can in the belief that let's just get it out on the table and and make sure that um, that we can talk about everything, even if it's unpleasant or difficult. Well, if you've got a global team meeting and you've got people from these two different sides of communication styles, they're looking at each other on a Zoom platform or they're seeing their little chicklets of faces and some people are talking and some people aren't. And if you say things like, well, you know, Tanaka-san, how come you're so silent? Or what do you think of this idea? And you don't get a response. You've got to be able to understand what's really going on. And why Tanaka-san is being so reticent. And when he says something like, um, well, you know, let's study this idea a little bit further. What he really means is that he doesn't like it, you know. And, 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 and I think that the, the leveling aspect of virtual meetings and the egalitarian aspect of a virtual meeting, where, where everybody's photo is lined up, you know, equally with everybody else's, kind of presents a false picture of everybody behaving in a certain way because right. all these folks are coming from different cultures where they're not going to behave that way. And, and, and as a leader of a global team meeting, you've got to understand that and you've got to start to put some best practices in place so that people can feel comfortable communicating the way they need to. So finding comfort with how people want to be communicated to but also making sure that you you humanize those things in in, uh, in a virtual setting because I think one of the things that people get intimidated by, and this is why before the global pandemic forced a lot of companies to go this way, is that they thought they will lose a lot of things and and productivity as well. To be to be frank, in their opinion, at least in the conversations I've had, and so now it's finding moments to get people to tell you about what they want, what they need, and not making yeah. those assumptions. Absolutely true. Mm. Fundamental. Absolutely. Right. You've got, you've got to listen, you know, and you've got to have the virtual meeting become a vehicle for listening, not just telling. And virtual meetings can be structured that way, but I think it takes an enlightened person to to do that. Well, you first have to know that that's what you have to do. It's, it's, it's not, it's not a telling opportunity. It's a listening opportunity. Yeah, there has to be that. There has to be that awareness at first. So that's that's uh, that's fair. Okay, um, I'm fascinated by your other aspects of your other career. Yeah, I mean, it's all the same, but the, the the media aspects, the what you do with CNN and what you do with, t- with teaching. I'm I'm going to be an adjunct professor in the fall, and 
I obviously my career was launched because of my, you know, media involvement. But there are a lot of people listening who are interested in similar field. The audience is full of cross-cultural professionals who have different perspectives to to share their stories. So I'm curious if you could share with us some of the things that you've learned while you know navigating your media and teaching career, because I feel like a lot of the people in the audience will, will basically find themselves in those stories. Well, you know, the the work that that we do, you and I, and and maybe the folks who are listening too is just so amazingly important and fascinating. I, I, you know, I just never tire of, of the fact that I'm getting off a plane, I'm meeting new people, I may not have ever met them before, I may never have been in this country before, and I'm gonna learn something. And this is a lot of fun for me. Um, I mean, I never thought growing up that I'd be able to travel to over 100 countries and, and have the experiences I've had. Um, but it's also so critically important. And I truly believe that it's really interesting stuff to learn about. You know, I think people are really endlessly fascinating, right? And 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 cult cultures are all about how people behave differently. Yeah. And I just and I just think the stories are 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 always fascinating and that they're worth repeating. And and I kind that's what I do. You know, uh, I'm a storyteller in my programs and when I talk to the media and if I'm needing to explain how cultures are different, you know, I tell stories and 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 people get the message. Um, but that's easy for me to do because I find it's interesting and I am totally convinced that other people find it interesting, too. I, I think it's, yeah. you know, it, it's it, it's just. You, it's something you want to shout from the rooftops. So that's what keeps me going. And I think if there's any receptivity um, to what I do and what I say, it's because it's not me. It's because it's so amazingly interesting. It just it just is. If I'm gleaning what you're saying, anyone who's aspiring to be in the field or who's already in the field, never lose the ability or, you know, every, everybody's a storyteller. I always say that because even when I teach courses on storytelling, I always talk about the fact that people are telling stories every day. They just don't realize it sometimes because of how we've reframed this, the, the idea. But don't underestimate the idea of what makes a great story, right? You, you mm -hmm. be as engaging as you would be as, as if you were telling your story and, and explain the same things. This is, this is what, this is the why of that person. This is the how of that person. And this is what gets to the core of that. And you're thinking about the plot, you're thinking about the, the, the hero of the character. And if you can find a way to make every person in their culture feel like the hero in their stories, you have a great way of telling that in form of teaching and in form of media. I mean, because I imagine when you get invited to CNN or, or any of the, the, the stations you, you, you're um, asked to, they're telling you to give them an insight into a perspective that they don't know. And that involves a form of perspective taken that means you have to go into that person's world and you have to tell it as that person would tell it or imagine it that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. You got it. That's right. And, and with an authenticity. I mean, I think that's a really important word. Um, you know, one of the questions that inevitably comes up when you talk about culture, particularly when you talk about culture with people who are first thinking about it, they say, oh, well, should I then be like that person? Um, or should I um, be, but, but I'm not like that person. I'm more like myself and I can't be like that person. And of course you can't be. You know, I'm I'm the guy from New York City, no matter where I go, and that's who I am. But the difference between me and maybe somebody else is that I have some information that I'm taking with me about how I'm being perceived as this person from New York City by these other people who see the world in a very different way. And therefore, I can manage who I am in a way that makes both of us a lot more comfortable with each other. And, yeah. you know, and, and that's what it's about. It's not about becoming somebody else. It's about being you, who you are, but modifying it based on the enlightenment or the information that you get about how your behavior looks to people who see the world very differently. Yeah. And so I think authenticity is a part of all of this, which is really important. Yeah. One of my uh, friends, Andy Malinsky, calls this cultural dexterity. So that ability to, to just, you know, 
keep yourself while also understanding other culture is uh it's that nuance approach there where you, mm-hmm. you really don't lose yourself but you also are open-minded enough to take in the idea that your culture isn't better than another culture right right yeah. right and you know there's also this issue of cultural relativity which i think is yeah. part of part of what people have to think about and and this is why this is all big stuff which is why it takes a while for people to 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 really become skilled at it but um you know understanding another culture doesn't necessarily mean i have to like it it doesn't mean that i have to um value it um but it does mean that look if for whatever reason i find myself interacting with culture a it's if i'm interacting with them independent of how i feel about it independent of all of that i have to respect it and i have to try to understand it and i and i may not like it at the end of a day um but certainly if i'm forced to work with them then um I have no choice. You know, the, the, the choice is, of course, you, well, you always do have a choice. You can walk away. You can say, there's something about this culture that, that I find so difficult or so reprehensible that I'm, I'm not going to work with them. And that's your choice. But if you find yourself working with them and interacting with them, then it is your responsibility to understand them and to respect them. Yeah. Yeah understand and respect that's well said it's well said and and i like the distinction you made there because i think sometimes people feel like if you're telling me to be cross-cultural i have to lose my culture and i'm like what what does that have to do with that it's 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 uh i mean there's a wonderful learning opportunity here for both sides if 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 you approach it that way and like you said it's not that you have to come to an agreement but you you can come to a place where you understand how that person sees the world and that person understands how you see the world. At least that's 21st century that I envision. That's right. That's right. And maybe, you know, um, learn from each other and, and perhaps get to a point where you start to value it. You go, Hey, wait a minute. The way you're seeing the world may be actually helpful for me. I may learn something about myself and, and about a, a different way of doing things that might really work for me. You might get to that point. Um, but it's not inevitable, and you might not get to that point, and that's okay too, as long as you understand and respect it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, what do you think uh, is the future of the virtual world? I, I, I don't. I know some people are mixed on it. Some people are nervous about how that's going to affect their benefits and their the way of life, and some people are really optimistic about it. So I'm curious to see if you're noticing any trends go up or down based on COVID-19 and virtual platforms. Yeah, I think virtual is with us, right? And it was always the, the, it was trending in that direction even before this crisis. So um, we all had to make the transition in our daily lives to incorporating <laughs> technology yeah. into it and incorporating the benefits, right? Now, yeah. are there downsides to it? Sure there are. There's, there's up and down, you know, so there's thumbs up and thumbs down to everything. So... Um, I think it's kind of a, a cool opportunity to have now an option. It's just about more options on the plate, right? Now we have an option to do things virtually as well as in real world um, if we choose to, if there are benefits to doing so. Uh, one may address things, one way may address things more effectively than the other. Um, certainly technology allows us to transmit information, you know, across space and time. And, and we couldn't do that before when we were sitting across the table with each other. So I, we're just going to have both. You know, yeah. it's like when, you know, when there was only radio and then television came in. Well, television didn't replace radio. It just came, came along with it. And then you had both. And then movies came. And then now we have streaming, you know. So now you, got every, you just got more options. And yeah. I think that's exactly what's, what's going to happen here. That's true. More options. Also, though, you 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 deal with this a lot. You've worked with the people that are in the relocation business. There is an element of loneliness that a lot of people are dealing with now for the first time. Now, people that haven't been in the mobility world, who are having to find that the human interaction that they often took for granted is not something that they can just easily access now. In your uh, opinion, what are some good ways to get comfortable with that separation of, of familiarity that we, we many of us are now experiencing 
that's one of the number one questions I've been getting from, from people. Yeah, well, I mean, th there's certainly no doubt that there's a, a real human loss through all of this. I, I don't mean the deaths of the, uh, but but I do mean just in terms of our relationships every day. I mean, I yearn to, you know, hug a, hug a little kid. You know, I want to put my arms around somebody. If I run up to a friend, I want to, I, I'm a touchy-feely kind of guy. So I want to like give him an embrace, you know, can't mm -hmm. do that. Can't do that right now. But I will. There'll be times uh, uh, we will. You know, we'll get there. So until that time, yeah, it's a hard time. But but how fortunate that we have technology. Because, you know, I mean, this is not the Middle Ages. This is not the plague. You know, think about back then when they didn't, you know, if this kind of thing happened then, there'd be absolutely zero communication. Just nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, so the fact that we have to do it we have to do it virtually now as opposed to in the future when we'll have the option for both right now we have to do only the virtual but that's okay it's just it's just a moment yeah. and it will pass and i you know and i think and i think the guys who are who are working you know you know the the silicon valley folks who are working in technology they're just going to get better and better at making it frictionless and user friendly so I mean, I can't figure out because if I could, I'd make a gazillion dollars, <laughs> you know, how to have a virtual beer with somebody. But I mean, someday somebody might be able to figure that out. So it's going to get easier virtually and they'll, that's going to make it a little less painful. Um, and when this is all over, we'll just have more options. Taking the long view, the bigger picture approach and understanding that what we wanted is something that we will eventually have, but also this is an opportunity to learn how to connect in a different way. Right. Right. Uh, all right. All right. Well said. Well said. Well, where can we find out more about you and your work? Um, real easy. Uh, DeanFosterGlobal.com. DeanFosterGlobal.com. And everything about cultural concierge is also there, I assume. Yes, the information about cultural concierge is there. Um, the information about my podcast is there. We we have a podcast called "Oops, Your Culture Showing," which is just a fun. It's just a fun time that we have with cultural differences. It's not about um, applying them in your work necessarily. Although I do think we talk about a lot of things that that hopefully people can learn from. But it's really about my stories and my adventures going around the world and the mistakes that I've made. And just managing cultural differences. Yeah. No, I, I'd, I'd love to put that in, put that in the show notes. I'll put that in the show notes. I, I do think there's a lot of you know humor there, but uh, you know also an opportunity to learn about the world and you know maybe things not to do in the future. <laughs> right. Well, the, the things that I will that I personally will try never to do again. Oh, uh, uh, no, this is fun. This is fun. This is one. This is literally my favorite thing to do. So I, I love investigating cultures like that. Uh, we have unfortunately come to a close, but Dean, I have a final question. And it's my mission statement reframed as a question. So, how do you, Dean, use your difference to make a difference? You're going to edit out the silence because the oh, silence is my absolutely. thinking. <laughs> absolutely. Take your time. <laughs> well, I have to reflect on my difference, right? And what skills make me different? So what what are the things that, that make me different that, that, can, that I can apply? Yeah, take your time. You know, I think it has to do, for me... Um, you identified yourself as a very empathetic person. Um, I identify myself similarly. Uh, maybe it's because we come from New York. Well, or at least are, are in New York now. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, but I've never felt like I've been limited to one path. And I've always felt that there were lots of different things, sometimes completely opposite, and that in some way would come together in my life to um, give me a, a clear path as to things that I needed to be doing. And I like the idea of having to put lots of different disparate elements of my life together 
And sometimes they do it nice, they fit nicely, and other times they really don't. But that's okay. That's me. That's who I am. So that's the way it goes. And um, that excites me. And I think that if people can feel confident about the different elements in their own life and feel comfortable with that and know that they can put them together, and maybe you don't even know where it's going to take you, but it's who you are, so you can't not do that. You have to yeah. do it. And if I can give people that kind of confidence um, in sharing that experience that I've had, then that hopefully that'll make a difference for others. No, I, I, I that's well said. I can definitely see that happening, and I think that that level of of connection to self and others is what we need to be. So, thank you for using your difference to make a difference. A pleasure. I'm glad I'm doing it. It's good. It's good to know. <laughs> well, the pleasure is mine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I am uh, very eager to get this one out. So I'll let you know when it comes out. Yeah, looking forward to that. Please let us know. I will. Well, ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.